and welcome to another episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. In this episode, Dr. William Trattler invites Dr. Cecilia Ketting and Justin Schweitzer to share their insights into educating and counseling patients about their expanding presbyopia treatment options. Coming up on Presbyopia Unlocked. Welcome to this episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. I am so lucky and fortunate to have two amazing rock star optometrists. Uh, they are KOLs and they're leaders in our field. Um, I'd love for them both to introduce themselves. Dr. Ketting, do you want to start off? I'm so, we're so lucky to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Dr. Cecilia Ketting. Um, I am an optometrist currently practicing in Denver, Colorado, so a little bit of a change recently. Um, and I am at a clinic with another um, ophthalmologist over at Hindsight Eye Care. Beautiful. And what's your practice like? Um, what type of patients are you seeing? What's your focus in practice? Yeah. So a little bit of everything. Of course, we're all seeing lots of dry eye, right? Um, yes. We do some primary care, surgical care, lots of ocular surface disease, like I said. Um, and so we're, we get a good smorgasbord of everything. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great. Well, we're excited to have you with us tonight. And of course, you also have uh, Dr. Schweitzer. If you feel, if you could please introduce yourself as well. Yeah, so great to be here with the both of you. Uh, thanks for having me. My name's uh, Justin Schweitzer. I'm an optometrist at Vance Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I work alongside you know, multiple ophthalmologists as well as a lot of optometrists as well. And we're really a uh, collaborative care MD OD center that deals with really anything in the anterior segment. So cornea, cataract, uh, we do a lot of refractive surgery as well. And then we handle glaucoma, uh, really anything anterior segment. We, we don't really dabble with thing in the retina. And so just excited to be here and, and have this conversation with the two of you today. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I guess our topic is presbyopia. So just curious, are either you guys both, I think are extremely young. So I'm sure neither of you are presbyopic, but do you have any family members that are presbyopic? My husband who's in denial. Yes, he's, okay. he's presbyopic, yep. Is he, yep. Uh, is he a great vision for distance, but just needs reading glasses now or where is he he's at? To that he's still trying to fight the fight um he's you know 45 and has started to notice that he's straining towards the end of the day the computer having to pull his phone away a little bit catch him on the couch um just kind of holding the, that nice arm's length distance um but yeah he's he's definitely starting to get to the point where he's admitting he needs a little help with readers yeah. yep and does he use a a special light when he tries to read a menu like at the restaurants or is that <laughs> No, he has not busted out the flashlight yet. Nope. Okay. So he's still, he's not quite there. Because uh, I know that was the biggest sign my friends would make fun of me as I got, as I started to develop presbyopia and I pull out my flashlight and they, they would all bring their flashlights in to make sure I could read it properly get, to get extra light to be funny. Uh, perfect. Justin, what about yourself? Is, is presbyopia an issue for any of your family members uh, close at home? Well, I'm getting close, Bill. You know, I'm 43 now, and uh, the only thing is I'm cheating. You know, uh, I work with uh, Vance Thompson, and he did uh, refractive surgery on me, uh, you know, six, seven years ago. And I had a little regression in one eye, so I'm a little nearsighted in one eye, like a like a point, a zero point, minus 0.50, and the other one's Plano. And I've just left it alone. So I'm kind of sneaking by still at my particular age, but that's going to catch up with me. So I'm getting closer and closer. Uh, and I'm sure my, my days are numbered. So I'm suspecting the next uh, couple of years, I'm going to be the one dealing with, and of course, plenty of, uh, 
you know, family members that have gone through it. And then obviously the patients, which we're going to talk about tonight. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I know for all, all of us, it's exciting that we're going to be talking about presbyopia because there's so many treatments coming on board. And, and if and these treatments can help our family members, but also will be helping us or are helping us. And so um, we'll talk about that. So I guess, you know, I'm not always like certain about these statistics, but um, there, there's a couple of statistics out throughout, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's the one statistic that 87% of adult presbyopes have never seen an eye care provider. Um, so I just first, what do you think about that number? Do you think it's truly 87% of adult presbyopes have never seen an eye care provider, or do you think that's an overstatement? I mean, honestly, I think that doesn't surprise me because if we think about what the population is and the amount of patients that we see in general um, and the amount of uh, essentially naive patients coming in for the first time, a number in the last few days just coming in to say, hey, I've all of a sudden started to notice I'm not seeing things up close. I'm getting fatigued. Um, I'm starting to to have problems and I never have before. And those are just the ones that actually reach out to see a doctor. That's not the patients that we know are going to get the over-the-counter readers and won't come in for another 20 years until they have cataracts and can't see. So yeah, I don't think that that's really surprises me too much to, to hear 87%. What do you, what do you think, Justin? Yeah. I mean, when I first saw that number and, and, and thought about it, it seemed high. I mean, I feel like that's, that's a high number and, and, and it surprised me a little bit. Uh, but I, I also, keep in mind that, you know, patients do really well or people do really well at adapting and, and trying to fix themselves. You know, you have over the counter things. And so your patients that maybe don't have a, you know, real problem at, let's say, for example, distance there, they use over the counter things and they adapt very well. It amazes me, you know, every day in practice, you have patients come in and for, for my practice, I think about a cataract and I'm like, man, that's a bad cataract. And you're walking around dealing with this every single day and they have no problem with it. They, they're walking around with 20, 30, 20, 40 vision, which to me would be, holy cow, I couldn't live that way. Uh, I just think there's a lot of the population that just adapts to these types of problems. And that's probably why that number is so high. And they just get used to it and they deal with it and they can function on their day-to-day -day activities. Absolutely. I think those are great points. So it's interesting. I guess there's a lot of patients out there that haven't yet seen eye doctors, but obviously with new treatments coming on board, maybe some of them will realize that if they see an eye care provider, they may be eligible for a new therapy. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. And I guess the second statistical number that's thrown out is that there in the U.S. there's 128 million presbyopes. Um, so again, it's 87% haven't seen doctors. But uh, 120,000 presbyopes means there are a lot of people out there that can benefit from our help, us as physicians helping them to see better. So it's pretty interesting. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think, um, are you seeing more and more um, plano presbyopes coming to your practice now that certain therapies are becoming available? Or are they still uh, very... A rare part of your practice. Yeah, I would say it's definitely you know more. It's it, it's become more and more common, and and it's a good thing. I don't look at it as a bad thing. You know, you look at that number, 128 million presbyopes, and that potential influx. I think we uh, are. It's allowing us to catch other other problems that are out there because we know there's other disease processes that affect the eye other than just presbyopia. Presbyopia, obviously, is something that we don't want to ignore, and we know it's impacting people's lives. But you think of the other conditions that are silent, such as glaucoma you know, other issues uh, with the eye, early age-related macular degeneration. If these patients aren't having eye exams, then we're not catching it. So, I mean, one nice thing about this whole uh, direct-to-consumer or discussion around the new therapeutics in, in presbyopia is I think it allows us to catch a lot of other eye conditions and also educate our patients 
on presbyopia and the different options that are available to really make an impact to allow them to, to function at a higher level. And, and I think that is exactly what I'm hoping and what I feel like I have seen um, starting, you know, when they started making the direct-to-consumer marketing um, kind of becoming out to the patients. I, I did have a number of patients who came in specifically asking about the presbyopia drops and what's going on with it, how can I try it? And these are patients who had not had an eye exam. The other thing I think that is is also interesting to think about this 128 million presbyopes. Um, my generation, Justin's generation, uh, we want more options, right? And the more direct-to-consumer information that's out there for them to look at, they get more excited, they're more hands-on, they're more wanting to be part of their treatment and the what what's going on with their eyes. Um, and I really like that. Um, so I think we're going to actually see, I, I kind of going back to the 87%, I'm curious if that number is going to drop um, with the coming uh, influx of our generation getting to that point in life where they're, they're going to probably be those that are seeking out more options and coming to us for treatment. Beautiful, beautiful. So I guess when those patients are coming, rolling the door right now, they've, they've heard the commercials, are they, they're probably coming in for beauty, but are usually, is that your, always your first choice or do, are you ever, ever offering like uh, contact lens options, surgical options? Like what are you guys I offering in your practices? Offer everything. Everyone wants options. So it's, Hey, look, you can do glasses and it's never an either or cause that limits. Right. And there's going to be times where, and you know, the three of us, we're going to probably talk about maybe how the drop's working, what we've noticed. Um, there's going to be times where these things, where glasses are going to work better uh, versus the drop is going to work better. I want to go out on a date and I don't want to take glasses with me. I don't want to sit at a restaurant and have to deal with glasses and light and other things. Um, so there, I don't look at it as an either or, like I said, it's an and. I love that. That's great. Justin? Yeah, I think we, she said, she said it great. You know, we, we've all taken an oath to make sure we give options to our patients of what's available. And there's a ton of options available for presbyopes. One is a drop now, but I also don't eliminate the options of glasses, contact lenses, surgical options, which I believe we're going to talk about can make an impact as well. And all of these things can really work together as adjunct. None of these things we're going to talk about tonight really are going to completely rid people of glasses, contact lenses. They all have their place and sometimes they work better together than alone. And that's really how I kind of have that discussion. We'll go through all the different options and then say, maybe we pair a few of these things together to give you some advantages in certain situations, depending on your lifestyle. Oh, those are great comments. So I'll just give a theoretical patient. So a patient comes in there, um, um, you'll be in charge of this one first. Uh, they're plus 50. Um, and so they're, they're kind of the edge of maybe being a candidate for beauty. They may, they could have beauty. Um, they're plus 50 in their, um, mid forties, is that, are you still going beauty first as the first, like kind of, even though you're giving them options or, or is that a patient that you might steer more towards like monovision contacts or just hold off on everything? Or like, how do you, what do you do for those kind of low hyperopes, presbyopes? Like what's your, and the younger patients? Yeah. And I think some of it depends on what do they do, right? What, how right. do they spend their day? Where's their life? Where, what part of their vision are they really needing and needing to, to focus on and, and, and enhance? And, you know, I would probably give them the options of glasses and beauty so that they have that. Um, I, yes, I would still reach for beauty. I've also found that I, 
everybody's a little bit different, right? We have this in theory sweet spot, but there's times where I've had post um, cataract surgery patients who have used Vuity on and they've loved it. I've had patients who are, you know, more around that two to two twenty five mark and still liked it. I've had patients who've been the plus fifty and liked it. So I I don't write it off. I still present it as an option for them. So, but that would still be kind of where I would reach for is is glasses and probably probably the drop as well. Oh, perfect, perfect. And so you nailed on one of my favorite topics to talk about in for presbyopia is you know a patient had cataract surgery and they have amazing distance vision. Um, it sounds like you've already so you've already used uh, beauty for those patients. Justin, have you had the opportunity to try that at this point, or is that still something you're considering? That group of patients, they, they see their plano after cataract surgery. Um, Dr. Bradal did a perfect surgery for distance, uh, but they're kind of wondering if they could get a little bit more range of vision. You know, definitely have, you know, in, in my type of practice, probably where I utilize it more post-refractive and then, and then post-cataract. And I found it useful and it, it's not every patient, but in some monofocal patients, it, it can give them a, or provide them a little bump and, and help some. Remember, it's not a, a permanent fix and it's definitely, you know, not, a, not an all day fix. There's a timeline that it works for. Uh, but it can provide a window of opportunity for them to get some up close. So I've had some luck with that. I think where I've really enjoyed it are some of these patients that get more advanced implants that may be a trifocal or uh, an extended depth of focus or extended vision lens where they're a little frustrated with the near, they're close, they're almost there. And I've utilized that, you know, in a, in a way that's um, off label based on, you know, the, the technology, but we can give them a little bump. And I've had some luck in that regard too, to give them a little extra near when they need it with the understanding that this isn't something that's probably going to get them completely through their day, but I can provide them some benefit with this presbyopic correcting drop. Beautiful. So I think what I'm hearing from both of you is that you can't really pigeonhole the, the presbyopic eye drops. There are so many different opportunities to have them, these drops help patients in different situations. And it really is, is based on your patient and you understanding that, that the Plus and minus of these drops and where they can really help. Uh, and then that's super exciting. Uh, Cecilia, any other areas? Um, how about have you had any patients that have had LASIK in the past and now, like, you know, they got into their 40s and they're thinking about, is there something that I can do to help my near? Have you had like post LASIK patients yet? Yeah. Yep. And post LASIK patients, it's worked well for. Um, but again, it's, it's definitely, you have to be willing to try. Um, and I think another thing that is a good, thing to mention is there are lots of other drops that are getting ready to come out in the coming six months, two years, right? We, we see the pipeline. I don't think that anybody should write off um, the whole shebang if one doesn't work. We have to be remember that, okay, this didn't work for the patient, but it doesn't mean we can't come back and try a different one when we have another option. Or, hey, it didn't work for this patient. I don't want to try it on another patient who's in that same position. I think we have to to be open to trying this with patients, especially if the patients are wanting and willing and looking for a different option. That's a great point. I mean, we know that there's no perfect glaucoma drop for every single patient. There's no perfect dry eye therapy. And so the same thing for presbyopia drops. If something doesn't work for one patient, it still may work for all the other group of other patients. So I, I love that that point. So I see that you guys are both involved in very busy practices. And you're, they're probably your next visit for each of you is probably in December or January, you know, somewhere around, I'm not sure if that's quite that long, but imagine we're talking where, you know, six months, I was trying to say five or six months from now, I realize people may be listening to this throughout the year. 
Um, so my real question is, how does your practice handle, I'll start with Justin um, next, how does your practice handle someone calling in just because they they saw the advertisement, they've never seen an eye doctor, they want to come in for a consultation to see about beauty, how do you handle those patients in your practice? Do they just fall right into your regular schedule or do you have special visits for them or what are you doing special for them? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, we've we've made a point to to talk with our, you know, first impressions, our, our phone team about, you know, what kind of discussion do we have with these patients? Because we're a practice where we work very closely with optometrists in our community. We really always say, you know, we don't have our own patients. Every patient that comes to see us is, is typically referred, not all of them, but but some of them. And the last thing we really want to do at our particular practices is primary eye care. That's not what we do at, at our practice. And so we kind of have the discussion around the fact, what are the, what are your goals? And this is even happening on the phone with the patient. And if they allude to or mention, you know, I'd love to think about reducing my dependence on glasses, we're willing to see them. And we do see them and we kind of have that discussion with them because we're, we're a surgical center. We talk to them about a bunch of different options. We talk to them about refractive surgical options, you know, possibly lens exchange options, because that can help with presbyopia. We talked to them about presbyopia correcting drops. We talked about contacts and glasses. Now, if they ultimately say, boy, I'd like to do this presbyopia correcting drop, or I'd like to do glasses or contact lenses, that's an opportunity for us to work with one of our colleagues, one of the optometrists in our community. And we, we just make a referral to that optometrist if they don't have one in the community and, and we're hands off at that point in time. If it's someone that's really a great candidate for something refractive in nature from a from a LASIK or PRK standpoint, or they fit as a great refractive lens exchange type of patient, then we kind of take that into our hands because that's what we're good at. And then we lead them down that path. And that's really how we've kind of implemented or, or had the discussion around uh, when these patients call us. Perfect. That's beautiful. And how, Celia, how about in your practice? How are you managing these patients? So we're a little bit different. Um, I do, we do have one optometrist in our office who actually likes to bring patients in um, for a specific exam for trying um, the drop. My schedule is a little busy. I don't quite have the time to do that. Um, and most of the time, by the time I see them, they're dilated. So the drop's not going to work. So <laughs> So I tend to, you know, those who are interested, you know, we always tell them come in for a full exam because one, we want to make sure who are you? Have we met you before? Is this, is this a new patient? Even if we have seen you before, have you had some change in it? And then going through similar, like Justin was talking about having the discussions about what are the options? We talk about surgical, you know, refractive lens exchange, ICL, LASIK PRKs, just same as you guys do. And and make sure that they know all of the options, but then still we in-house will go ahead and prescribe. Most often, if a patient is interested, I'll prescribe it. And then I might have them back in about a month, six to eight weeks, really try to counsel them on how to use the drop, what to expect, the side effects that they might experience um, so that they're kind of prepared for what what is going to happen um, and have a better experience that way. So we do actually prescribe it in-house. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful. So Justin, are you sharing that you pretty much send all yours out? Like you're not actually writing the prescriptions for beauty, just how your practice is set up? Not not every one of them. So to be clear, I am prescribing at times. Uh, you know, if it's someone that is their initial script, a lot of times I'll do the initial script, but then that patient is getting, you know, referred to an optometrist in the community to take care of their primary eye care. So we're, we're still doing a health exam. We're still dialing. We're taking a look and doing all of that. So they're physically coming in if they're interested in something refractive nature. If they pretty much tell us on the phone they have no interest in anything surgical, 
then that's just a quick, we call it a, a warm transfer to one of the optometrists in our community. Because, you know, for us to talk about glasses or contact lenses, something we don't do, we don't have an optical, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, the optometrists in our community are are, are more than capable of then talking about beauty with them or a presbyopic correcting drop as well. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, everyone's practice is different. And um, I think I'm, Cecilia, my practice is a little bit more is closer line than yours. I mean, we do, we're a big surgical practice too, but yet it still ends up that we end up doing some of the primary care um, as well. So it's, it's kind of a, a mix, I guess. So Cecilia, since it sounds like you had a little, a good amount of experience with beauty, just share a couple of your pearls, I'll ask for both of you guys to share your pearls on like what's really worked to improve the success for these patients. Any, any uh, pros you could share? Yeah. Um, patient counseling of what to expect, I think is, is definitely a big one um, because it's, uh, you know, when I have them in the room, I have a conversation. I'm like, okay, so a couple things you should know about the drop. You are probably going to get some low brow headaches. Um, we have this when we use this drop for, uh, for glaucoma. Um, typically it goes away within a week to two weeks. It's just like when you start going to the gym and working out a muscle, you haven't worked out in a while, it gets a little sore and then eventually it isn't sore anymore. So be prepared for that. The other thing is I have had a number of patients tell me that day one, the first time they use it, their vision gets a little wonky. It's a little off and it's, it's caused typically by a ciliary spasm. This isn't going to be something that's always going to happen, but I don't want you to get discouraged by the first time you use it, you have this happen and not be aware of it. So I want you to make sure that you use this drop every day for two weeks, even though that may not be how we're going to use it in the end. I want you to get used to this and how it's going to play out at different times in the day. How many times are you going to need to take this? How long is it going to last for you? We know the studies show that peak is about four hours. Um, they say it's a once a day drop, but you can use it twice a day if it's needed. Um, so I think setting the stage for them helps. And then um, the other things that I have found really helpful is just making sure I'm picking the most appropriate patient. But like I said, it's kind of tricky because we don't know who that is. Um, but I, when I say that, I mean more of the motivated patient. If I have a patient who's like, oh yeah, I tried that contact that one time and I don't want to go back to it, but this drop could be good. Well, that patient's already shown me that they may not be the most motivated patient to try something. It doesn't mean you can't, but it also means that that patient may not be the best candidate. Okay, those are great pearls, and again, again, try to help our patients be successful is always so critical. Justin, any any pearls on your end? It's just setting them up for success. I think the education piece is is crucial. I've told patients when they first start using the drop, let's not use it, you know, late afternoon, early evening. I think using it when the lighting condition is ideal uh, has been really helpful. I think some patients, because of those first few days, having a little bit of visual issue at times if they're doing it right at night, can really create a problem that that they don't like and they'll stop using it. And then I really encourage the patient, you know, go ahead and use the whole bottle. Let's get through one bottle and then let's see how you're doing. Because I think that's an important piece as well. And I don't really sample anymore. I just prescribe. And so most of the time patients will go ahead and do that. They'll go ahead and use it all the way through the bottle because they paid for it and they don't really want to waste it. And so I think for me, getting them to go through the whole bottle, proper education, and then their first few doses when they're using it, during nice lighted daylight conditions to get them started has been really helpful. I love that. Those are, you guys both came up with great pearls. So I guess, um, you know, we've had a great, uh, vibrant discussion. You guys are just, uh, just great, you know, uh, you know, and so knowledgeable on, on this topic. 
uh, presbyopia. Uh, any last final thoughts, uh, Cecilia? Any thoughts on on this on the whole space and you know your enthusiasm for the future? Yeah, I think again, like I mentioned, it's it's not an either or. We're not going to lose. Um, glasses, contact lenses. I don't think we should be afraid. We should be excited. This is a really cool time. There's a whole new option that we're able to offer to our patients and ourselves and open these conversations with patients um, about all of this, as well as getting more patients in our chair. Like Justin was saying, this is something that we should be glad to have more people coming in so that we can take care of them and help them with things that they may not even know they're going on. So, yep, I think it's an exciting time. Absolutely. Justin? Yeah, I, I, I love the opportunity to have new, you know, tools in the toolbox. I mean, I, on a daily basis, you know, see presbyopic patients constantly because of, of cataract surgery, those types of things. I love having IOL discussions. I love doing refractive consults, talking about you know, the options there to help with presbyopia and our patients that are above, you know, the age of 40. And now we can enter this into the mix and it's fun. And there's a many more of these coming where we're going to find out where does it fit with what type of presbyope, where does it work most ideally? And, you know, to have these types of options and be able to mix and match is going to be a lot of fun. And it provides patients opportunity to have independence when they want it. Again, I really said this, I said this at the beginning, I think it allows for the opportunity for adjunct therapy, whether it be glasses paired with a presbyopic correcting drop or a contact lens paired with a presbyopic drop or a beautiful cataract surgery and IOL paired with a presbyopic drop. And so I think we've just gotten started with this. It's just going to get bigger and bigger, and there's going to be more discussion as more studies are published. We're going to understand it more and more as well, Bill. Absolutely. No, I, you both made some great points. I know that I'm super excited for the future, not just for my patients, but of course for myself as well, since uh, we're excited. I mean, the current medications are great. There's future medications, also future surgeries and surgical options that are super exciting, um, like the AccuFocus lens, lens that should be coming out, the AccuFocus IOL, things like that. So I know that uh, on behalf of uh, myself and Presbyopia Unlocked, I can't thank you both enough for your insight, insightful comments and thoughts and looking forward to, to working with you both in the future. So thank you so much for being here today. 